0: Ironically nestled within one of the largest countries in West Africa lies one of the smallest countries on the entire continent. The big nation in question is none other than Senegal, a former French colony known worldwide for its delicious culinary staples such as Thieboudienne, a fish and rice dish with several local and regional varieties. But in the southern half of the country, tucked away between the Atlantic coast and the nation's vast interior, lies a thin strip of land surrounding a river. The river is the Gambia River, and the land that flanks it is officially known as the Gambia, with the article The put in place to differentiate between it and an East African nation known as Zambia. If all that confuses you, then sit tight and let's embark on a journey along the Gambia River, and therefore the interior of the Gambia itself, to explore the origins of this great yet tiny little country that has held on to its national identity, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. The name Gambia is attributed to a couple different sources, the first of which is the indigenous Mandinka word, Kambra, or Kamba, their name for that selfsame river that flows through the region. The other name is associated with the Portuguese, who were the first Europeans to lay eyes upon it way back in 1455. Initially, they called it, and the land surrounding it, Gambia, a derivative of the Portuguese word for trade, choosing the moniker, perhaps, in the hopes that they would strike it rich in the West African trade. Alas, it was never meant to be, at least not there specifically, but the name stuck, with it being adapted into English as Gambia, as it's known to this day the first outsiders to explore what's now the gambia were arab traders who incidentally were the first to provide the world with written accounts of the river and its environs their explorations of the area took place in the ninth and tenth centuries respectively and it wasn't long before they established communities all along the west african coast Arab merchants and scholars were among the first foreigners to settle in the Gambia, and they soon opened trade routes across the Sahara Desert, which proved vital in the exchanging of gold, ivory, and slaves for manufactured goods from across North Africa. As these Arabs were predominantly Muslim, they also introduced Islam to the region, which accounts for why a vast majority of Gambians are Muslim to this day by the fourteenth century much of the present-day gambia was part of the rich and powerful mali empire which as you'll remember from the timbuktu episode way back when was the largest empire in west africa for some four centuries between twelve thirty five and sixteen seventy of course sadly it wouldn't be a story about africa without colonization and colonialism which took root in the gambia in eighteen twenty one when the british established the gambia colony and protectorate The origins of this, however, could be traced back over two centuries prior, when, in 1588, after the Portuguese had tried and failed to establish a trading center in the Gambia, Portugal sold exclusive trading rights along the Gambia River to English merchants. Letters patent from the then-English monarch Queen Elizabeth I made the transaction official, and 30 years later, her successor, King James I, granted a charter to an English company for trade with the Gambia, as well as the Gold Coast, the latter of which makes up the present-day nation of Ghana. For a while, the British maintained their West African trade network, the only interruption being a ten year period between 1651 and 1661, when the Duchy of Courland and Semigalia what's now Latvia, purchased parts of the Gambia, but formally ceded them back to England in 1664. This commercial enterprise ran smoothly and proved quite lucrative for the British until it all came crashing to a halt with the outbreak of the Seven Years' War in 1756, which many historians consider to be the first large-scale global conflict between the British Empire and the rising French Empire and each of their colonial interests worldwide. For the first two years of the war, the fighting didn't reach West Africa, but then in 1758, in an attempt at crippling the French economy, the British landed several forces in Senegal, then one of France's largest colonial possessions, which completely surrounded the Gambia, to capture the fort of Saint-Louis, as well as the slave fort there, along with the fort of the ile de Gore, the last of which is near the current capital of Senegal, Dakar. Their objective was to seize French supplies and vessels. For a brief period of time, Senegal was under British control. They even placed a governor, Richard Wargy, to oversee the colony's operations. But with the signing of the Treaty of Paris in 1763, which brought about an end to the Seven Years' War, the French retained their sovereignty over Senegal. It wasn't until the signing of the First Treaty of Versailles 20 years later, however, that France allowed the British to maintain control over the Gambia. This ultimately led to the foundation of the Gambia Colony and Protectorate in 1821, which would last well into the 20th century. Despite maintaining control over the river and its environs, life for the native Gambians as British subjects wasn't as oppressive as one might expect. Indeed, though the Gambia had played an integral role in the notorious transatlantic slave trade of the 17th through 19th centuries, in which Gambian prisoners of war were sold by their African, Arab, and European captors into slavery both locally and abroad, the British, in 1807, abolished the practice entirely throughout their empire. This naturally extended to their African possessions as well, and the Gambians enjoyed a considerable amount of freedoms and comparison to their colonized neighbors still struggles with the french continued even after the establishment of the gambia as a british colony throughout the remainder of the nineteenth century the gambia's boundaries were constantly changing as the surrounding french colony of senegal would encroach further into its territory it wasn't until eighteen eighty nine that a formal agreement between the british and french brought an end to such practices consolidating the already existing gambia colony and protectorate into an official crown colony that is one where the governor is appointed directly by the reigning monarch known as british gambia as well as creating its official borders which remain the same to this day As early as 1901, the colony was granted its own legislative and executive councils, thus paving the way for its eventual independence, which would take place in 1965 as a constitutional monarchy, with Queen Elizabeth II serving as its ruler, and finally as a republic within the British Commonwealth in 1970. Today, the Gambia is known as the smiling coast of Africa, and is known the world over for its warm hospitality and friendly people but to look at it on a map it's a wonder that it has survived as long as it has for it's nestled right in the southern half of neighboring senegal which surrounds it on three sides to the north east and south to look at it in such a way one can't help but wonder why senegal hasn't tried to absorb it into its sovereignty the truth of the matter is that it has on a couple of occasions in the years since both nations gained their independence In 1981, for example, an attempted coup by the leftist National Revolutionary Council, composed of the Gambian Socialist and Revolutionary Labour Party, or SRLP for short, was quelled with the aid of Senegalese troops. The ensuing victory caused the Senegalese government to encourage the Gambia to sign a treaty the following year, which would combine their armed forces as well as unite their currencies and economies into a single confederation, known simply as the Senegambia Confederation. However, after just seven years, the Gambia withdrew from the Confederation for reasons that remain hazy. It's speculated, though, that Senegal was interfering in the Gambia's elections, and has reportedly done so a few times since, though this remains inconclusive. As you can see, the Gambia has had a rocky, tumultuous history, yet has maintained its national and cultural identity through Arab, Portuguese, French, and British influences and sovereignty. Theirs is a heritage of which they're quite proud, as proven by their rich culture as well as the warm, friendly nature of their people. They may not be a large country, but as proven time and again throughout history, size doesn't always matter. Whatever the future holds for them, there's no doubt that they'll continue to face it with hope, optimism, and above all, fortitude. Thanks for listening, and for taking this trip to one of Africa's true hidden gems with me. Have you ever visited the Gambia, the smiling coast of Africa? If so, what was your experience like? Give me a follow on Instagram at history loves company. that's history-loves-company, underscore underscore and let me know. If you enjoyed this and all my episodes so far and would like to support me to ensure continued content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button. From there, you'll be redirected to three monthly support plans that fit your budget. Listening and sharing help me as well, so please do so wherever you get your podcasts. Join me again next week as we take a look at a hidden civilization in the American Midwest, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you then.